Well, good morning, Juliet. First, how's everybody doing today? Good. Hey, I see y'all brave the rain for the few of you that came out. Thanks for being here. You are truly Christian today. Thank you for that. <laughs> hey, we've started a new series called Believe. Speaking of being true Christians, uh, throughout the entire world, Christians have questioned what exactly makes a Christian. In fact, uh, for, throughout centuries, people have followed on the tailcoats of their family. In the West, we have made uh, a faith a matter of a formulaic prayer we call the salvation prayer. Salvation meaning we are sorry, right? And what we churches produce is a bunch of sorry Christians. That was, that was meant to be kind of funny, not really. But, but what's interesting is Jesus does not use the word salvation very often. In fact, we only find that he used the words twice. But what we do find in the scriptures is that Jesus tells people to believe. In fact, in John's gospel, we find over 82 times he uses that word. And so we were discovering over the next eight weeks what it looks like to believe. Last week, Pastor Seth came to us, and he told us that believing is peaceful and that the level of our faith is only as deep as the level of our peace. I love that line. I thought that was really good. And so today we're going to continue on this journey and what it means to believe because I truly believe that, that, that believing it's not just a matter of the brain, but it's a matter of the entire body. And so this morning, we're going to start together. Would you pray for me before we start? Lord, we give thanks for your goodness to us, for this opportunity to explore your word and the way that you speak life into us. Would We know that you're in this moment, and we acknowledge your presence here. Would you open our ears, clear our minds, and speak life into us in this moment? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I need you to laugh today because um, the joke's on you, but... I once heard a pastor say this, you know, if people were as audacious in sharing their faith as they are their opinions with their pastors, the churches across America would be filled. Somebody say, praise God. All the pastors are saying amen. And But it is kind of a funny statement. I, I'll never forget in Indiana when uh, we had Miles, beautiful baby boy, and uh, somebody came up to us and said, you know, he'd be really cute if he didn't have red hair. I was like, oh, is that, is that a compliment? Uh, I mean, I have red hair. Am I supposed to take this thing? I didn't, it was a really weird moment. But on a, a few months ago, or maybe even a year ago, when the foyer didn't look like it did, I was standing out in the foyer after service, and I was wearing a pair of jeans that looked much like this. And I know that they're holy, they're a little worn. And at the time, I bought them only a few weeks earlier. I bought them that way. And I know it's hard to believe that you can buy jeans with holes in them. Why would you do that? Uh, you're paying more for less. That doesn't make sense. But I'll never forget, somebody came up to me and said, hey, pastor, looks like you're wearing your work jeans. And I was feeling pretty feisty and audacious myself, and I said, you know what? These are my work jeans. In fact, I'm here at work right now. I mean, I don't know if you know that, but this is what I do for a living. And so, yeah, these are my work jeans. I'm at work. But what was communicated, and what gets communicated often to pastors in criticism is that, Pastor, you're not being very pastorly. Now, I just want to say this. I want to be your pastor. But there is something inside of me that rages against being pastorly. In fact, here's what I mean. I made a list this week of what I deem as pastorly, and it goes like this. Being pastorly means... Answering life's mysterious questions and problems with uncontextualized Bible verses and cliche sayings. Being pastorly means preaching messages you've already heard a million times. 
Being pastorly means correcting people who use colorful language. <laughs> Being pastorly means never upsetting anyone and making everyone happy. My mentor said to me once, he said, if, if everyone's happy, you're not doing your job. Now, this may get me in trouble, but being pastorly means conservative dress that makes you look like you came out of a 1980s Christmas catalog. <laughs> uh, being pastorly means using Christian buzzwords that makes non-Christians and atheists cringe. Being pastorly means listening constantly to Christian music and Caleb so as not to interrupt the feng shui with the father. <laughs> being pastorly, now this is a serious one. Being pastorly means accessibility precedes family. Accessibility precedes family. Being pastorly bears the weight of being boring. That's what I say. Now, I once had a pastor after a message come up to me and say, well, uh, pastor, uh, that was not very vanilla. And we are used to vanilla around here. So the next time, if you could just make it a little more vanilla, we'd appreciate it. And I said, listen, brother, I may be creamy on the outside, but deep down, I'm dark chocolate. And I think, I think for just a minute that God created me the wrong color. I think that's the truth. Somebody, come on, here we go. But here's the thing. <laughs> you see, you have to understand that there is something life-giving to me there is something life-giving to me in the midst of criticism. You see, what you mean or what people mean to be criticism, I take as a compliment. You don't like my jeans, that's great. That's awesome. I mean, people will often talk about, Pastor, that was a weird message. Why did you preach from the Gospel of Mary? You just you, you say things that, that we've never heard before and, and they don't make sense to us. Or, or you're not very pastorly. You don't always say the right things at the right moment. And, and you're right, I don't because I don't know what to say. And, and, and there are times when silence speaks for itself, right? Silence is enough. Presence is what matters, right? Pastor, why do you listen to heavy metal music? Because I love it, and it's really good. See, there is something inside of me that gives me life. I believe life is lived most when it's lived against the grain. You see, when people tell me, Pastor, you need to do it this way, I'm going to do it the opposite. When people give me conventional wisdom, I'm going to find somebody who will give me unconventional wisdom. I have a good friend, Jeff. He's my mentor. He said, when I came here, he said, do not wait to make changes. Now, this is the guy who owns the biggest furniture, one of the biggest furniture stores in Kansas. He said, do not wait to make changes. Because pastorly means you'll wait for a year when you get everybody around your side. And then when you make changes, they're like, what? That was a bait and switch. He said, they're expecting it. Now make it happen. And I think the question I want to ask you today is living life, I want to say this, that believing is living life against the grain. And I think that you would admit that life for you is a lot of fun when it's lived against the grain. In fact, maybe your faith, which, which shapes your life, is meant to be lived against the grain as well. And you're saying, well, how did you get there? And I'm glad you are so studious because we're going to go through Luke's gospel. Would you stand this morning for Luke 24? So you, you won't see it immediately, but we are talking about believe as living life against the grain. In Luke 24, it says, now that same day, 24 verse 13, it says, now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. That's important. Hang on to that. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. 
And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? As if he doesn't know already. They stood there, their faces downcast, and one of them named Cleopas asked him, are you, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Oh, Jesus, what things? <laughs> About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. And the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped, I like this, but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more is it's the third day since all this took place. And in addition, some of our women were amazed by this. They went to the tomb this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that what they had seen, a vision of angels who said he was alive. And then some of our companions went to the tomb and found just, believe it or not, just like the women said. You would get that if you were here on Easter Sunday. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, boy, this is long. He explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. Nothing like reading the whole Bible. Actually, I think it would have been the first five books. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in and he stayed with them. When he was at the table with them, he, he took the bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes, after he broke it, were opened, and they recognized him. And then he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, uh, were, were our hearts not burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up. That's resurrec res resurrection language right there. Anytime we hear the word got up or arise, you should know this is resurrection, resurrection language. They got up at once, went to Jerusalem. I love this. They went to Jerusalem. That will be important here in a minute. Where they found the 11 and those who were assembled together. And they're saying it is true. The Lord has risen. He has appeared to Simon. And the two, the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. This is the word of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Y'all may be seated. Well, Dr. Luke, who has exquisite writing, litters this story with detail that gives us an account of two people who are walking from, as the scripture tells us, from Jerusalem to Emmaus, which is important. Because you'll know that they'd be walking into the sun. They'd be walking into a sunset. And suddenly there's this guy who appears out of nowhere and starts walking with them. Now, scholars believe the reason why they couldn't recognize Jesus' face is because they were walking into the sun. I mean, you've, you've had this experience, right? You're talking with somebody, and their back is against the sun, and you're looking into the sun. It really is hard to pick out facial features, to to pick out movements of their mouth, to understand what they're saying. So you really have to listen well, right? So scholars believe that they're, they're walking west, and uh, they, um, I like this, they're walking west. They're heading from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And they're walking into the sun, and they don't recognize them. But I, I need you to hear this. You're asking, why is the west so important? You see, long ago, the children of Israel who were out in the wilderness would always follow the rising sun. 
It tells us in Numbers that they would follow the rising sun. They would head to the east. And so here's what, here's what we're learning is that good people, good followers, people who are pastorly would, would go to the east. People who are good fo- God followers would go to the east. But then you have this guy named Abram who's called out, right? We're going to go to Genesis real quick. And, and I love this because it says this. The Lord had said to Abraham, go from your country and your people and from your father's household to the land that I will show you. Now, he makes promises here. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing to the entire world. I will bless those who bless you and never curses you. I will curse them and all the peoples on earth. And, and they will be blessed through you. So Abraham went as the Lord told him. Abraham was 75 years old, and you think you have excuses. 75 years old, and he set out from Haran, where he went to Haran. He took his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, and all the possessions they had accumulated, and they had acquired in Haran, and they went to Canaan, and they arrived there. Now, any good God-following logic would tell Abraham that if I need to experience the promises of God, I need to go east. But if you have any idea about Middle Eastern geography, you would know that when Mo, or Abraham moved from, from Ur to Haran to Canaan, you would know that he was heading west in an opposite direction. And people are saying, Abram, why would you go that way? That's not the way our ancestors did it. That's not the way normal people do it. That's not what good God-following people do is head west. They head east. And, and here's what I want us to understand today. We, uh, we arrive at the road of Emmaus, and here we find the, the disciples in Jerusalem in the east talking about the risen Lord. We, we take our cue from that pretty well, don't we? Talking about the risen Lord. But then there were two guys who decide they're going to head in a different direction into the west, into the sunset, and all of a sudden they experience Jesus for the first time. Because they decided to head in a different direction. Now I know it was probably accident, but what I need you to know this. We will find Jesus when we head in a different direction. When you decide to go a different way, when you decide to live life against the grain, that is the moment you will experience who Jesus is. Meanwhile, the disciples are still talking about the resurrection. And here are two guys who are experiencing it. You see, what I need you to know is the resurrection is not routine. The resurrection itself is a rebellion. You see, we have been, we think that somehow the Christian life is meant to be uniform where we line up and we do everything that we're told. And then we wonder why church feels so boring and lifeless. Head west. Live life against the grain because that is where you will experience God's promise. You will experience his joy. You will experience his love. When we head in an opposite direction and quit following the flow for just once. Live life against the grain. I love it. So they're heading west, and they experience Jesus for the first time. What a beautiful picture. I think one of the downsides to church is, and to the world, is uniformity. Now, we have a couple here who uh, do not live a uniform life. I'm going to brag on them. I didn't ask permission. I'll just ask for forgiveness later, but... Uh, there are there is a couple who lives a counter narrative to this idea of uniformity. Have uh, some of you know David Yanchek? They're not here. David and Laura Yanchek. Uh, have you ever tried to get a hold of David? No, you haven't, because he doesn't own a cell phone, and neither does his wife Laura. 
They don't have cell phones. And I've heard people say, I say, I don't get why they don't have cell phones. It's so weird, and they're so difficult to get a hold of. And I know people have said that because I'm the one who said it. <laughs> and I know we think it's, it's weird, but then I go to my son's soccer game or my soccer practice, and it's just practice. So I look down the row, and there are all the parents lined up in their koozie chairs, and, you know, they got their drinks. But I look down the line, and it was like we were a military lineup all in a row sitting there in front of our phones, not even watching our kids practice. See, I think why technology may be genius, it has made us disingenuous to the practice of presence. And I think just for a minute that maybe Laura and David have something right. Because, you see, they are present at every moment of their kids' lives. They are investing in their kids' lives in ways that, I'll be honest, I'm not investing in my own kids. In fact, I made pancakes for my son, one more, my, my boys, one more Saturday morning. And I said, for the best kids in the world. And they said, the Anchecks? <laughs> yeah, they really do. It's so funny. Miles said, it's the Anchecks, right? <laughs> but there's something about the Anchecks that they have a, the practice of presence in their life. And they begin to live life against the grain. Now, i got to brag on our church. I would say we're moving out of the uniform life, right? Uniformity is dangerous. Uniformity is what kills the soul. It is what makes us lifeless. And I love what Richard Ward says about this uniformity in the church. He says, many of us don't know how to be diverse and yet one. Many of us don't know how to be diverse and yet one. In unhealthy religion, we felt this pathological need to make everybody the same. Our little culture has defined the bad people as those others because the ego is more uncomfortable with uniformity or it's more comfortable with uniformity. People who look like me and talk like me, they don't threaten my boundaries. Church has become more and more an exclusionary institution instead of a great banquet feast where Jesus constantly invites the sinners, the outcasts, the marginalized, the aliens, and my question is, what does it look like for church to live life against the grain for just a minute? Where we will welcome all these people. If you're new to our church, that is our mission. We will be the edges of the field for our community. We will welcome all those people. We will love you if you're broken and messed up. And if your story's not right, this is for you. I want to push against the grain. I want our church to, to move out of the grain for just a minute and begin to experience Jesus the way he experienced. And that is not in here, but out there where the people who need him the most are meeting him. Believing, if you haven't heard it yet, believing is living life against the grain. Some of you are saying to me, though, do we always have to be rebels? What if I told you today there was a different kind of way of living life against the grain? Here's what I need. I need a volunteer. Can somebody volunteer for me? No volunteers? I need just one volunteer. Seth, come on up here. Now, I want you to use your imaginations with me. This is what the practice of preaching is about, using your imagination. But, but if I want to show Pastor Seth something, uh, I want to show him the, the big TV we have in the back that 
holds up everything that you see on here, I see back there. And I start saying, hey, would you look at this, look at this TV, look at the, it's a, a Phillips, it's, it's got really cool language on it and a cool picture with it. I'm, I'm showing Seth this TV in this moment, right? And I want you to notice the posture that we've just taken. Okay? Now, this is exactly what Jesus does in the moment, right? He walks on the road of Emmaus, and he, he begins to tell these two people about the prophets, about Moses, and everything that was spoken about him in this moment. By the way, this is, uh, this is just a bonus. Old Testament spelled backwards is two, and that's what the entire narrative of God's story is about, is pointing us to Jesus. And so when we read the Old Testament, we do it with the lens of Jesus. That's, that's bonus. But I don't want us to get caught up in the words. I want, to get, I want us to get caught up in the way Jesus is with these people in this moment. And here's what I mean. I envision when he begins to speak about the prophets and he begins to talk with them, there is this sort of leaning in to one another. As I point and I show you the past that's pointing to, to me, right? Notice our posture. You see, thank you for your help. Living life against the grain can be lived propped up against Jesus. See, we always think that it has to be so revolutionary and so rebellious and so crazy, but, but what I want you to understand is that living life against the grain takes us into this flow that we find ourselves in with God. There's this rhythm that we find with him where, where, where he takes us under his wing and, and, and we lean against him and he leans against us and he is the kind of grain that we want to follow. And like I said, we follow into this flow. This flow of the grain, this flow of life, this, this life of Jesus that's given to us in this moment. And, and, I, and you've heard me over the last few months say, is there more to this? I couldn't explain the feeling. Is there more to the Christian life than this? I've been asking this question month after month after month, and I'm tired of asking it because I don't know the answer. But then I came across these words. I was reading this week, and I came across these words. Now keep in mind, living life against the grain, living against Jesus. So this is what one theologian says. He says, the authentic Christian life and living inside the flow are the same thing. And the flow will always be characterized by two seemingly contradictory things. Here it is. First, you're going to be constantly yearning and longing for more. The way that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit endlessly desire to give you themselves and flow outward into you is the kind of sacred discontentment and a holy dissatisfaction and a holy desire for life and love and generosity. He calls it the paradox of relentless contentment. You see, he has put words into the experience that I've been, been working through as I find myself leaning against Jesus every morning in my prayer time, which is obviously about forming me into his image, I begin to see that, that this flow begins to move into me and I begin to recognize I've, I've been feeling guilty for feeling discontented. I've been feeling guilty for more when in reality this is actually God's design for us. This is really a good thing. 
that we will begin to look around the world and say, that's not right, that's not right, that's not right, and because that's not right, I don't feel right, I don't feel right, and I want to do more to help that situation. I want to do more to be part of that, but that only happens when we lean against Jesus, when we live life against the grain, and the grain who is God. So believe, as I told you multiple times, is living life against the grain. And I think that living life against the grain will give us a sense of discontentment that moves us toward the more. Living life against the grain will give us a sense of discontentment that moves us toward the more. So this morning I've given you two images of what it means to believe. We said that the resurrection of Christ is not routine, it's a rebellion. And then we said that we have to lean against or live life against Jesus himself. Those are two different pictures that we give you. But I think what, what, what Luke wants to express to us today in this moment is there is a rhythm where we combine the two together. There are times where we live life against the grain, and there are times where we live life against Jesus, who is the grain. And I don't know how to express it other than to give you an example, an image of what that looks like in my mind. See, I picture an old wooden table that needs to be restored, and I, and I, I picture a, a nice old man who's got cool flannel and awesome boots and a little sander in his hand. Not an electric one, but a, the old cheese grater kind. And I envision that in order to restore this table, to restore it for good, to restore it for purpose, to give it life again where there will be meaningful moments of dinner and joy and happy. I mean, to get to that point, there's a process. There's a process of going against the grain. In this case, going with the flow of the grain, right? Anybody who knows how to sand a table would know that you start by going with the flow, right? You, you wouldn't want to go against the grain. You'd ruin the table. So I envision this guy working and working and working. And as he works, he begins to smooth the table out. And when he runs his hand across the table, all of a sudden he begins to feel there are still rough spots. But the reason there are rough spots is because the grain doesn't go with the grain and you need to go in a different direction. And so he turns his body and he begins to work a different way. Now he's going against, against, against the grain. And he's working and he's working. And I think that is the Christian life for us in a nutshell. That we lean against God, we live life against God, and we are kind of in this rhythm where we go in his flow. We fall into his flow where he then pours his love, pours his grace, pours his life into us, and we find life in that moment. And as things begin to smooth out, we will notice the broken areas of the world, the broken places of the world. And we say, that needs, that needs fixed. That needs fixed. That needs fixed. You see, God's plan of salvation, if we're going to use that word for the world, is you. And so it's only when we find ourselves in rhythm that we can recognize those other places where we need to go against the grain. You see, a world will shape you whether you know it or not. And people are shaped and formed by the world. Not necessarily a bad thing, but there are times that it's bad. 
we find our lives in hurt and brokenness and addiction. I mean, those are those are not what God had planned. It's not what God has planned for you. And so we then take, as we, we lean against God, we can recognize those spots, and we begin to against the grain to restore lives. That is our mission here is to restore lives into the image of God to say, you are no longer broken. You are no longer rough. But I'm going to give you a new grain that smooths you out, that shows you the direction that you're supposed to go. Living life against the grain. This is what it means to believe. So what I want you to do this week Now, this isn't conventional wisdom, but who cares? I would like for you to just do something crazy this week. I remember in high school, we used to do Chinese fire drills. I don't know if we can call them that anymore, but, you know, where you you, you stop at a stoplight, you get out, you run around the car 20 times. Apparently, it's illegal. I didn't know that, but we would do it all the time. Well, but if you've done this, how many of you have ever done a Chinese fire drill? We got to, okay, the majority of you. This is fun, right? Our millennials are not raising their hands. They are missing out. <laughs> but in that moment, right, there was this awareness that we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing, and it's fun. It's fun. And so you're saying, Pastor, why are you asking us to do something crazy? I'm asking you to do something crazy. So you'll be reminded when you do that crazy thing that this is the life that God has called you to. To live life against the world, against the grain but also to live life against Christ. And when I say against, I mean next to. When we begin to live life that way, I'm telling you, your life will change. You will want the more. You will have a discontentment in your heart, and you won't be able to explain it, but it will move you. It will move you. So do something crazy this week. Share your story with us on Facebook. Tell us what you did crazy, but let it be a reminder. Don't go to jail, but let it be a reminder. (laughs) Let it be a reminder of what it means to believe because that's what it means. This morning, we, we, we invite everybody to the table. As we said earlier, there's this banquet feast, and I'm not sure everybody knows that they're invited, but But when Jesus comes to the world, he invites everybody that no one expects to be there. And I love it. And so you may be feeling like, I'm not worthy today. I I should not come to the table and eat the bread and the body that that has offered me forgiveness and love. Let me just tell you today, this is where where you will experience grace. This is where you will experience God. And so we invite you to participate in this beautiful meal. This beautiful meal that will teach you something new. As we say here, you are what you eat. And we believe that life is lived against the grain. Before I pray, this morning some of you are saying, I would like that different life. We give you these connect cards, and on the back, I I would just like for you to check what resonates with you. Maybe you want to live life against the grain. Maybe you've never decided to follow God for the first time, we're not going to call you out. We're just going to ask that you check that box and tell us about it. Tell us your story. We do read those, and I'm appreciative for the way that a lot of you have filled those out, and you've told us things about you that are, that are very helpful. But I would ask that you would fill that out and let us know what God's doing in your life. Let's pray, and then we'll come.
if our servants would come forward. Lord, this morning we acknowledge your grace and your presence. We acknowledge that you are God. We acknowledge that our faith is not meant to be boring, but a little bit rebellious. But a rebellion that's only found in your ways. So, Lord, we pray as we come to your table and we eat that you would shape us into your identity, into your love, into your grace, into your mercy. That we would walk out of here and be those things. That part of living life against the grain is being a, an embodied testimony of what you're doing in us. Make us those people today. Use us. And may we be bold enough to do something crazy as a reminder that we believe in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Where Jesus Joe! 